The Secret Church podcast is a resource from Radical.net. For The Secret Church 3 study guide and other resources that go along with this audio, visit Radical.net slash SC3. And this is Secret Church 3, Episode 3. So, you got four questions there. Observing and then understanding what does it mean and then bringing it back home. How does this relate? And then applying it back home. What do, you, what do I do? And so I want us to think about taking a trip into the Word, almost like we're going into another culture. And I want to encourage us to think through four questions. First, observe their home. What do I see in the Word? Now, this step involves exploration. This is where Bible study starts. This is four steps in studying the Bible. This step involves exploration. It's like you're a detective or you're on, your jour- on a journey and you open up the Word and you take a chapter or paragraph or verse of Scripture and you begin to look for everything. What do you see in there? You look and you look. You're doing this observation thing. And your goal is to discover what the text is saying. Imagine you're in the audience that's for the first time reading this particular letter and you hear it. What are you feeling? What are you seeing? What's sticking out to you? You're looking at the whole text from their shoes. It's a question of content. A question of content. You're looking for the content. What do I see? Exploring like a detective through this particular passage in God's Word. That's step number one. Second is to understand their home. What does it mean? And this step involves interpretation. It's not just seeing what it says. We want to know what it means. Not just seeing that they're holding hands, but what does that mean in that culture? Not just seeing that they're shaking the glass, but what does that mean in that culture? Not just seeing that they're bobbling their head, but what does that mean? We're asking those questions. Not just what do I see, but what does it mean? And this is a question of context. We're asking, okay, what did that mean in that day for Paul to say this or Moses to say this or the psalmist to say this? What did that mean then? Understand their home. What does it mean? Question of context. Then we bring it back home. How does it relate? This step involves not exploration or interpretation, but it involves implications. In other words, we want to see how the text travels. We all know that we don't live in the culture of the first century in the New Testament. And we don't live in the cultures of the Old Testament. And this text has got to travel almost like crossing over a bridge or taking a flight Back across the ocean. Okay, how does this text travel? What are the implications here? And this is a question of connection. How does this word connect to life in the 21st century? Bring it back home. How does it relate? Then finally, apply it in your home. What do I do? And this step involves application. Okay, I've seen how the text travels. Now we've landed. We're on the other side of the bridge How does this text transform my life? Now, the problem is, what I want you to realize is, most of the times when we study the Bible, this is where we start. We open up the book and we're asking the question from the very beginning, okay, how does this apply to my life? And that's a good thing in the sense that we want to know how the Word applies to our life. But if we run toward application first, we will miss out on the whole point of the passage through observation and interpretation and then really looking at the implications of what that means for us, and we will begin to misuse the Bible. We can't start with application. We end with application. This is a question not of content or context. It's a question, not a question of connection, but it's a question of conduct. How do we act? 
Now, I don't know if when you received, when you, when, when you picked up your notes when you came in, did you receive one of these right here? It's a, there were some on the table back there. It's just a half sheet, and on the front it says, studying the Bible from their home to our home. And this right here, if you didn't receive one, there are numerous copies in the back for you to walk away with. If you did receive one, just so I know if you got it, hold, hold it up where you are. Okay, most people received one. Okay. This right here is basically an outline for where we're going to head tonight. You see these questions, observe their home, what do I see, understand their home, what does it mean, bring it back home, how does it relate, and apply it in your home, what do I do? And the goal tonight is that you would be able to walk away and understand what we're talking about in each four of these steps and be able to sit down, whether you use this or you adapt it to be something else that you like that accomplishes these things. My goal is that you would be able to walk away tonight, have this in front of you with a text of Scripture and be able to really study the Bible. And just this half sheet, be able to really start to uncover the truths of God's Word in all four of these steps. Like I said, there's tons. You can pick up a stack of these when you leave if you'd like. I think there's some notebooks in the back that we're making available so that you can begin to use that. But this is kind of an overview of where we're headed. We're going to walk through, over the next few minutes, we're going to walk through what it means to observe their home, interpret their home, and then bring it back home and apply it in our home. That's kind of the overview. Make sense? Okay, with that picture, let's start with the first step. Observe their home. What do I see? I'm guessing all of us have had times where we've sat down to study the Word and we've almost gotten frustrated wondering why we're not getting out of it what everybody else seems to get out of it. And I want to say that the reason for that is probably twofold. Number one is we've never learned how to read the Word. I mean, really read the Word. How do you read the Bible? One of the books that I've recommended in the back, the title of it is How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. It's an excellent book on this very issue. How do you read the Bible? And then we didn't know what to look for in the Word. And so I want us to start by looking at two revolutionary disciplines for reading the Bible. We need to first learn to listen. We need to learn to listen, not just hear, to listen. There's a big difference there. Learn to listen and second, learn to look. We've got to learn to listen and learn to look. If we can get our arms, our minds, our hearts around those two disciplines, it will radically transform the way we understand the Bible. Learn to listen and learn to look. Let's start with the first one. Learn to listen. I think the main requirement for studying this book is to sit down and really slowly say, okay, I want to listen to what this is saying. That sounds very simple, but we all know that in our culture today, that is not an easy thing. We want a fast food approach to studying the Bible. How can I run through this and get the most out of it in the smallest amount of time? If we're approaching it like that, we will miss what this book has for us. We've got to learn to really sit down and listen to what it's saying. How do we listen? First, we listen thoughtfully. Bible study is not a mindless activity. If we read a text, maybe a text that's familiar to us, and we think, well, I already know what this means. Let me go on to a different one. And we don't really think through, maybe for the first time in a long time, what does this verse really mean? With even a simple verse like John 3.16, then we will go right to what we've heard about this verse and we'll miss what God desires to do right for us, right right there in that moment for us. But when we really listen thoughtfully, I think we'll begin to uncover the biblical gold mine that is in every single verse, passage, discourse, segment of Scripture. It's kind of like my wife, Heather, is a, a, a 
a big encourager, note writer. Ever since we did start dating, she always wrote me notes, always wrote me letters. And I remember even before we started dating when she wrote me a couple letters. And I can remember, these are the first letters. I mentioned she was the first girl I dated. So the first letters that a girl had written to me. And so I thought, okay. And I'm looking, and I'm looking at every single word. And I'm thinking, all right, she said, dear David. Like, does she say that in every letter or is that just like a letter to me that I'm dear and everybody else is just David, but I'm dear David. And, and, and she said, how's it going? And it's like, okay, well, what, okay, let's think through this. What does that mean? And then she says, well, I'm praying for you. And I'm starting to think, okay, well, does she say that to everybody? She's saying that in the sense that she's praying for me just like I pray for you or is it like in the sense that girls pray for their future husband kind of praying? <laughs> is that the kind of praying she's doing for me? She put a smiley face here in the note. Like, does she do that all the time or am I like she particularly happy when she's thinking about me? Like, how does this whole thing work? And you start to really look at everything in the letter and you're unpacking and everything. That's how we study the Bible. We look at it all. That's what we're talking about when listening thoughtfully. Second, we listen thoroughly. If we are going to understand the Bible, we have got to bombard the Bible with questions. This is key. The Bible is not embarrassed to be asked questions. So we've got to pour questions all over everything that we're looking at on the page when we're studying the Word. And here's some main questions that we ask. We ask, who Who wrote this book, this particular part of the Bible? Who originally read this this particular passage? Who were the main characters? Second question is what? What's happening in the text? What's wrong with the picture? What is the author saying? Every single text, we're asking these questions. And every single text doesn't answer all of these questions, but we're asking them every time. Who, what, where? Where is the writer when he's writing this? Where are the original readers? Where is the text taking place? Next, when? When was it written? When did these events take place? Understanding them in their context. Finally, asking the question, why? Why is the author writing this? Why is this even included in Scripture? Haven't you read some passage of Scripture and wondered why in the world this is included? That's a good question to ask. Don't be afraid to ask that question. God, why in the world did you think this was that important? When we start to ask those questions, instead of walking away and saying the Bible's irrelevant, if we ask those questions, we're on the verge of a breakthrough where we're starting to see what God is doing in His Word. Ask those questions. Why did the events happen the way they did? Why did the author say what he said? We listen thoroughly. Bombard every passage you study with question after question after question. Who, what, when, where, why, how. Ask it all. Listen. Then next, listen repeatedly. Read the text over and over and over and over and over. Get the point. Read entire books in one, one sitting sometimes. We're going to talk about this with the New Testament letters. You wouldn't open up a novel and start in the fifth chapter. That's how we study the Bible a lot of times, though. Just start in the very, very middle. We miss the whole point of what's going on before that and what's coming after that because of the way we're studying. So listen repeatedly, reading it over and over and over again. Listen patiently. This is going to take time. We need to be patient with the text. Don't jump to application from the very beginning. We've got to do this observation step. What do I see? And be patient with yourself. This is a journey. Just relax and enjoy the ride to the text. Don't try to rush through it. Be patient. Read it patiently. Next, listen imaginatively. Imaginatively. I'll let you figure out how to spell that. See the sights. Smell the smells, experience the emotions. Take a journey to the text. Put yourself in the text. When I was in the Middle East the other, the other day and we went to Mount Nebo, this mountain that 
Moses stood up on and looked out across the promised land. And to know, I stood there just looking out and trying to put myself in Moses' shoes because he'd been disobedient to God. And what seemed like a small area, here he was. And God gave him the opportunity to look at the whole promised land, but he wasn't able to go into any of it. You imagine the emotions he felt. And then Joshua's standing there. He's looking out, and he's about to lead this people into that land. Talk about a weight on your shoulders. Instead of just reading Joshua 1, Joshua 5, 13, when he's looking out over Jericho, put yourself in his shoes and feel what he's feeling. Listen imaginatively and listen meditatively. Take time to reflect, to meditate. I'm not talking about this hmm kind of thing. I'm talking about getting into it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, just as you do not analyze the words of someone you love, but you accept them as they are said to you, accept the word of Scripture and ponder it in your heart as Mary did. That is all. That's meditation. Joshua 1.8 said, meditate on this book day and night. Psalm 1, on his law, man who prospers meditates day and night. Psalm 119.97, I love your law. I meditate on all day long. Listen meditatively. And finally, listen purposefully. Listen purposefully. We're not just reading to check off a box on our spiritual to-do list. We're reading because we want this text to transform our lives. We're not just reading even to get a bunch of details and information. We want to grow into the image of Christ. That's the purpose of this book, and that's the purpose of studying the Bible, because we want to grow in the image of Christ. So learn to listen in all those ways. So we're asking questions. We're putting our minds into this thing. Who's, go, who's doing this? What's going on here? Where is that happening? Why is that happening? Putting ourselves in the passage. Learn to listen. And then next, learn to look. The art of Bible reading is seeing. Seeing. What makes one person a student, more of a student of the Bible than another? And I think the answer is he knows how to see the Bible. He knows what to look for. One of the most critical skills in studying the Bible is the ability to see these details. You look at those squares that are there. How many squares do you see? 26. I've not heard the right answer yet. It is not 16. It is not 27. It's not 17, 22, 29. Okay, stop the mob. Stop the mob. All right. There are, I'm not going to tell you yet. We'll do it after the break. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. Remind me to do it after the break. But here's the deal. We jump to, oh, yeah, it's 16, piece of cake. No, no, there's more there. We want to see, we want to see. Do the same thing with the word. Oh, yeah, that's what that means. No, look deeply. What does it mean? Okay, I'll tell you because you're not going to be listening to a thing I say if I don't. All right. The number of boxes, the number of squares that you see in front of you are 30. 30 squares. 30 squares. All right. Now, some of you are still going to be like, I don't believe him. I don't want to see. All right. What I want to do is I want to give you six clues for what to look for in Scripture. All right, here you go. Hey, I'm here. Uh, <laughs> all right, six clues for what to look for in Scripture, all right? Look for these different things. And when you see these things, I'm just about guaranteeing that you're going to uncover gold every time you see them. You look for these things, these six things. First of all, look for the, what the Word emphasizes. 
Look for what the word emphasizes. And there's all kinds of ways that the word, that a text of Scripture emphasizes something. One way it emphasizes is in the way the verbs, the action takes place. Verbs are action, words. How does the author depict the action of the text? Ask the question. Now, you're gonna, we're going to get a bunch of questions to ask. But this is what we do. Is the verb past, present, or future? Now, think about this in Ephesians 1, 11. We read this verse. In him we were also chosen. What kind of verb is that? It's past. We were chosen by God. That's what he's saying there. Having been predestined. Is that past, present, or future? Past. Predestined. According to the plan of him who works out everything. What is that? Present. Now, just in that one little with one little question, we've got a picture of a God who in the past has chosen and predestined to call us by name, and he is working in our lives right here in the present. What an incredible picture of God's relationship to his people. Just by asking, what is the, what's, what's the tense of the verb? So it's the verb past, present, or future. Is the verb imperative. Matthew 28, 19, there's one imperative in this verse. Anybody know what it is? The word is actually not go. And that's where we're a little hindered because of the original language of the New Testament. It's not translated in the NIV here as it is. There's actually a participle. It's actually going, kind of like baptizing and teaching later. The only imperative is make disciples. Now that transforms the way we understand Matthew 28, 19. It's the only imperative that he gives in the entire Great Commission, make disciples. That means that the church needs to talk about making disciples all the time. And some of you here at Brook Hills saying, amen, that's what we do all the time. And that's why, because when Jesus prepared to leave this earth, he gave us one command, and we're tempted to do everything except for the one thing Jesus told us to do. I could preach for a while on this, but we're just going to stop here and say, this is an imperative. Every follower of Christ, make disciples, period. Okay, is the verb active? or passive. Now look at this. This is one of my favorite examples of this. Look at Genesis 12. God's promise to Abram. Leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. Now remember, just in case some of you are thinking, man, I haven't been in English class in a while. What is active, passive? Active is something that the subject is doing. Passive is is something that the subject is having done to them. Okay? So I will make you into a great nation, an active. God's saying, I'm going to make you into a great nation, Abram. I will bless you. That's active. I will make your name great, active. I will bless those who bless you, active. Whoever curses you, I will curse. That's active. But listen to what he says. All peoples on earth will be blessed. Is that active or passive? That's passive. We'll be blessed. Here's the picture. God's saying, I'm going to pour out all these things on you. And the result is all the nations of the earth are going to be affected by you. Does that make sense? God's going to pour out his blessings on us, on his people, so that other people will be affected by us. That's why if we sit back and soak in the blessings of God and we don't take what we do tonight and multiply it among the nations, then we have missed out on the point of the people that God desires to be affected by us tonight. That's the picture just by asking, active or passive. Don't get drunk on wine, Ephesians 5 says, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled. What is that, active or passive? It's passive. Be filled. The Spirit fills you. He does that. It's His action upon you. uh, Colossians 3.1. Since then, here's the uh, contrast. Since then, you have been raised with Christ, active or passive. That's passive. Some of you might not be getting this active or passive thing. You're just hesitant to guess. I don't want to be wrong. Well, it's passive. You've been raised. Somebody else has raised you up. You've been raised with Christ by God. Set your hearts on things above, active or passive. 
Active, okay, active. Set your hearts. You do this. All right, maybe we didn't get that one, but that's okay. If you didn't get it, ask that question. It'll be great. All right, next, not just verbs. Now, we're looking at what the word emphasizes. Look at space, space. What do you mean space? Well, you look at what the author, biblical author, is spending a lot of time on. And you look at, I think I've got Genesis 1 through 11, 12 through 50 in there. What's interesting is you got 50 chapters in Genesis. The author spends 11 chapters on that little thing called the creation of the world and the fall of man and, and the scattering of the people to the nations. That's only 11 chapters. Now, that's a pretty thick 11 chapters, but out of 50, that's a small percentage on some pretty big things. He spends a chapter on creation. Really, a little more than a chapter when you get into chapter 2, but not a lot of time. But then from Genesis 12, which is when he calls Abraham, we just read that, all the way to Genesis 50, he goes through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. He spends all those chapters on just those guys' lives. What is the point here? I think from the way Genesis is even written as we study that book, we realize that what is most important in God's economy is him pouring out his blessing and his promises on his people. People are important in God's economy. Isn't that a great picture? Just from seeing the space that's devoted to that. Matthew, of 1,062 verses, at least 342 of them give us teachings from Jesus. That's a third of the book. That tells us something about the purpose of the book. Now, some of you are sitting here thinking, well, like, I just can't get that first time I read it through. And I, I mean, you've got to really look hard to see, okay, out of 1,062, it's obvious. There's only 342 that are devoted to the teachings of Jesus. That's a no-brainer, of course. This is something, it takes time. The more we study the Word, the more all this will come together. Again, this does not happen overnight. You look at Ephesians. It's cut down the middle. First three chapters, explanation of salvation. Last three chapters, application of salvation. It's a great picture of Christ to save you. Now, here, here's how this affects our lives. The space devoted to that. Next, the way the Word emphasizes through a purpose statement. Through a purpose statement. Does the author describe why he says something or why something happens? You have put some words down to look for. Look for that and order that, so that, two or four. Listen to Deuteronomy 4, 5, and 6. We know God gave his people the commands, like the Ten Commandments, but why did he do it? Listen to this verse. I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me, so that, underline that, circle that. Here's the purpose. Why did God give the laws? So that you may follow them in the land you're entering. Then listen to what he says. Observe them carefully for, circle that, underline that, for, this is the reason you need to observe them. For, this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations. Why did God give his people the law? He gave his people the law so the nations would know the wisdom of God. That's why we study this book and follow this book, so that the nations will know that God is good. That's the ultimate purpose here. Look for the purpose statement. Psalm 119.11. Why do we hide our word in God's heart? That, so that, I might not sin against you. Underline, circle that. John 3.16, that verse we all know. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He gave his one and only son because of incredible love. That whoever. The purpose is so whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. John 15 and 16. Why did Jesus call your name, ladies and gentlemen? You did not choose him. He chose you and appointed you. Here it is, two. Here's the purpose of why he's called your name. To go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. The purpose is huge. You get to John 20, 31. (coughs) Excuse me. This is the purpose statement of the entire book. 
Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written. This is why John says, I wrote these things that, here's the purpose, circle it there, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You see the picture there. Okay, let's go through a couple more. And then we will uh, take a break. Order. Order is the author giving importance to something by putting it in a certain order. And you look, and we've looked at this at Brook Hills numerous times, but you look at how the disciples are ordered. What you see is they're ordered in groups of four, and the top name is at the same place in each one of those orderings between Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Acts. They're grouped into different smaller groups in the disciples. We see that by the order. Ephesians 3, 14 and 20 through 21. You might write that down. It's another great example. Ephesians 3, 14 to 21, where things are put in an order. They build on each other in a progression. Order, exaggeration. Exaggeration. Does the author exaggerate something for intentional effect or emphasis? Look for exaggeration at different points in Scripture. Psalm 119, my soul is consumed with longing for your laws at all times. That's obviously exaggeration. 2 Corinthians 11, Paul says, I robbed other churches by receiving support from them so as to serve you. That, I, hope, I hope, we hope that's exaggeration. That, that really just blows the image of the Apostle Paul if that is not exaggeration. How about Jesus? You blind guides, you strain out a gnat but swallow a camel. Now that'll preach. I mean, you, you hear that and you start thinking, to, well, that's exaggeration. There's something that's being emphasized there. So what is it? Last, I think it's the last one, yeah, chiasm. Chiasm. Now some of you, I mean, if you got lost in the active or passive, you're really going to have to hang with me here, okay? All right. Chiasm is when the author, and you see this especially in the Old Testament, highlights a main idea through a parallel structure in the text. Okay, follow with me here, all right? Follow with me here. You look at Psalm 76.1. In Judah, God is known. His name is great in Israel. What happens is, I want you to see, it's almost like a, a sideways V, okay? What happens is these different lines parallel each other. In Judah and Israel parallel each other. God is known. His name is great. Now that's just a simple example to show you. But you go to Genesis chapter 3. And what's really interesting is, I want you to see this. Genesis 3 begins with an introduction of sin in the world. First seven verses. And then God confronts man. And then man says, Adam says, she did it. And so he confronts woman. And she says, he did it. And so God confronts the serpent and gives him a promise really a pretty thorough rebuke that pretty much sets the stage for the rest of the Bible. And then it kind of backs up and we see God give a promise to the woman and then we see God give a promise to the man and then it closes out with the consequences of sin. You see how they parallel each other? And what's really interesting, the chiasm, the way, and this was a, this was a way, we don't use this very often, you don't, you don't see this in a lot of our writing today, but this is something Hebrew writers would do to put an emphasis on the very point of that V. And you look at Genesis chapter 3, what's the main point, even structurally in that text? The main point is what happens in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, when he looks at the serpent and he says, there's coming a day when you will strike his heel. And I raise up a, some, someone from the woman, he will strike his heel, but he will flat out crush your head. And it's a picture of, of the promise of salvation through Christ from the very beginning. And it's emphasized in the structure. Genesis 11, you see the same thing. This is the Tower of Babel. And all, all points to this 
picture in verse 5 when the Lord came down. I'll, I'll let you look at that. This is one of those areas where I just want to encourage you after tonight, go back and sometime look at some of these things. Even the very structure of First and Second Kings shows that. Now, that's not always easy to see. Please don't be discouraged if you think, I'm never going to find a chiasm. That's okay. That's okay. It's okay. You can still know God, okay? All right. All right, I tell you what, let's take a, a break on chiasm. Thank you for listening. You can find more episodes from Secret Church and thousands of other free resources from David Platt at Radical.net.